Hello, I'm Ben Thompson, owner of Thompson & Terry Recruitment. I'm Mike Foster, the entrepreneur's mentor. And you are listening to an edited version of Get Radio's Business Brunch with Ben and Mike, uh, which airs every Sunday at 11am on DAB Digital Radio across Oxfordshire and online at getradio.co.uk. And our show introduces you to local trusted experts, whilst we also talk about topics that you, the listeners, tell us is impacting on local businesses and their owners. For copyright reasons, we cannot play the songs mentioned in the show. Uh, but for more info and business wrench related content, please do head over to getradio.co.uk. I definitely recommend it. Get Radio's Business Brunch with Ben and Mike. Sponsored by We Do HR Support. Leave your HR to the experts so you can focus on what you do best. Good morning. This is Get Radio and welcome to the Business Brunch with Ben and Mike. My name's Ben Thompson, owner of Thompson & Terry Recruitment and indeed the Oxford Business Community Network. And my name is Mike Foster, the entrepreneur's mentor. Now we're all set this morning to bring you another informative and thought-provoking show when we will again introduce you to local trusted experts whilst we're also chatting with our guests about a matter impacting on the local business community here in Oxfordshire. And on today's show, we'll be talking about a topic that impacts wider than the business community. We look forward to welcoming our guests who are Megan Morris-Carter, a director and the lead of The Hill Oxford, a digital health innovation community, and Henry Majid, the co-founder and the CEO of MyMind. So Ben, let's kick off with my usual question. I've heard of digital health, but what is it and how does it apply locally? That's a really great question, Mike. Um, and normally I say, um, that's a great question, but I've got lots of my own ideas and I say that we're still put forward to the experts. But this week, I genuinely don't have lots of my own ideas so i really really look forward to hearing from megan and henry to, to share our insight as i'm sure the listeners are this is the business brunch we'll be welcoming megan and henry after this Get radio. welcome back to the business brunch with ben and mike on get radio um so regular listeners will know um what we like to do is start by almost networking style 60 90 second overview for, from from our, our guests to really share share what they do as a business um and share their own background before before going into the round table so let's do exactly that um let's start with you megan please do tell the listeners all about you and indeed the hill hi ben hi mike and thanks ever so much for having me on the program so i run the hill which is a digital health community based at oxford university hospitals and we're all about getting digital technology into the NHS for the benefit of staff and patients. We do this by very much building communities. So we're all about the people, all about enabling others to help with the digital innovation community. And we work specifically with three different types of people. The first is innovators. So people who have businesses in digital health, people who have ideas in digital health, or perhaps are researching in the area who might have an idea that's going to impact on patients in the future. We help them to develop their technology, to develop their business processes and finance and other things and to be able to bring that innovation to market. The second community is our clinicians and operational staff. So you can't really um, do very much in business without communicating with your customers and making sure that they uh, communicate their needs really well with you. And so that's what we do is we help them to articulate the needs that they have, um, help introduce them to technologies, and also just make them more digitally savvy and more comfortable with innovation and change. And the third piece is really around partnerships. So we're a very small team and we like to work with a very wide range of partners, um, both locally in the Oxfordshire region, but also nationally across the UK and across Europe. 
Amazing. No, great, great intro. Um, and again, over to you now, Henry. Um, the same for you, but all about my mind. Ben, Mike, thank you ever so much for having me. And thank you, Megan, for all that you do. I'm a big fan of The Hill. So my name is Henry Major. I'm co-founder and CEO of My Mind, which is a digital mental health platform. And I'm also a visiting fellow at the Saeed Business School at the University of Oxford. I think we've all seen that over the last couple of years, our worlds have been upended. It feels like we're always on. You know, there's always more to do. It can be relentless. You know, many of us are becoming exhausted and perhaps close to burnout. And we felt that you know, prevention's better than cure. An early intervention means you don't deteriorate and reach crisis. So my mind proactively identifies issues early on for early intervention and provides targeted resources and support to help improve resilience and strengthen well-being so that we can all really flourish and thrive and cope and deal with the challenges ahead. Amazing. No, amazing. And I look forward to sharing more more about my mind with with the listeners as as the show goes on. Um, So I'm going to go back to you, Megan, um, for one of the most difficult questions um, of of the show um, based on past guests, which is your song choice. So what is your song choice and why have you picked it? So I'm going for Changes by David Bowie. And uh, I struggled a little bit with this one um, because I I want to do something relevant to the topic, but there's not many songs out there about digital health. Um, There's rather more about innovation, but most of them are a bit rubbish. And so I decided in the end to go with a slightly broader theme and to think about change, because I think change management and helping people to become comfortable with change is all about what I do in my job and what everyone who is attempting to bring a new technology to market has to do with their customers. This is the Business Brunch with Ben and Mike here on Get Radio. Now, our show aims to share the knowledge, experience and the expertise of our guests whilst we discuss a topic of interest that you, the listeners, tell us you'd like to know a little bit more about. And today we're talking about the topic of digital health, where me and Ben are looking forward to learning what it actually is and what it does. And a reminder that our guests today are Megan Morris-Carter and Henry Majid. To kick off our discussion today then, Megan, can I ask you that big question? What is digital health and what does it actually mean? Yeah, it's a, a really good question because I think uh, you'll, you'll get lots of different answers to it as well, to be fair. Um, at the Hill, we take a very broad view of what digital health is. We, it's pretty much anything that has any sort of digital component. And as you can imagine in the modern world, that's that's an awful lot of things because if you have a device, it might have a piece of software that's helping it to work. If you have a diagnostic, it probably has um, it needs a connection to the internet. Um, you know, so so there's everything from apps and small pieces of software that people interact with directly, um, perhaps on their phones or on their computers, right through to things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, which are more software algorithms, which um, perhaps um, exist in uh, on the cloud or in a computer system somewhere, and the user doesn't necessarily interact with them directly, but they really have a, a big impact on um, the delivery of healthcare. I think it's also important to realise that digital health isn't all about um, removing the person from healthcare, you know, that it, it's very much about enabling our fantastic staff in the NHS and in other health systems across the world to give that personal care to people, but enabled by digital devices, whether that's thinking about decision support, so helping them to make the right sorts of clinical decisions, um, whether that's about administration and logistics, so just getting them to the right place at the right time and helping to connect them to their patients better. Um, or whether it's actually about delivering new diagnostics and new treatments. 
Mm. No, really, really, really good insight. Thank you for answering that big question, Megan. Uh, Mike and I certainly had our notepads there. Um, Henry, just just bringing yourself into the conversation. Um, I'm just really keen to kind of, um, as the networker, of course, um, I want to know about networking. How how important is it to a digital health business to be um, connected to the hill and to be able to network with other digital health businesses here here in Oxfordshire? It's really important because I think, you know, I don't have a better answer than Megan's in terms of what we mean by digital health. But what I would add is that, you know, it should really be about augmenting and amplifying the other things that are there and existing within the ecosystem. And, you know, there's no single digital health solution that's going to be the silver bullet or the answer um, in isolation. It needs to be integrated and embedded and almost fit within what else there is within the system. You know, there's no shortage of these digital tools, but often the gaps are how they fit together, um, the order that they fit together, the way they communicate between each other, the way that they engage the um, healthcare community or the way they engage the um, healthcare workers or even the end users. And so it's really important that we're all networking and understanding what each of our tensions, um, appetites are, not just because we can actually build on each other and reinforce each other, but we're all experiencing different challenges and whichever sector of digital health we're in, there's a lot of common ground where we can learn from each other and also different perspectives where we learn from each other to really um, reinforce and improve the experience that the healthcare workers and the end users can have as a result. Really interesting. And, and that's great feedback I always get about the Hill as well um, as that community. Henry, one, one thing I'm really curious about actually is did, did the pandemic speed up the interest in digital health and the, ava- the availability and the products coming to market and then the NHS engaging? Yes and no. I think it was a, a double-edged sword. I can see uh, Megan nodding there. So you know, in terms of my area, digital mental health, it meant that there was almost a an upsurge, you know, this explosion of dig- different digital uh, mental health tools, many of them very, very good. Some of them perhaps hadn't necessarily connected with what the real needs within the market were, which in some cases meant that it was a lot harder to select the tools that were appropriate for you. Often these were reactive, often they had very low engagement, often they weren't necessarily personalised or they didn't have that clear pathway to the support that you had. But some of the tools were very good, certainly in terms of the recognition of the need there. Yes. In terms of the opportunity to use technology as this force enabler or force multiplier, um, in terms of the access to the data that we can have and the way that you're able to reach um, wider audiences, yes. But you know, I think it needs to be taken with caution um, because it, it's made it very difficult to understand what are the ones that really stand out and can make a difference. And so it certainly made it more difficult for you know those that need to select these often. I'd be, I'd be curious to get Megan's view on that as well. Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right, Henry. It's been a a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, we've certainly seen that um, staff in the NHS, for example, have had to cope with suddenly going online to do appointments with people over the space of, of weeks, which something is something that would normally take years to, to sort of implement and, and change in terms of working practices. Um, we've seen some fantastic examples, um, both digital and non-digital, like, you know, moving wards within, you know, sort of a few days where, again, you know, it would probably take months of planning to, to actually kind of affect that sort of change. Um, so I think that there's been um, an acceleration in the adoption of digital technologies. Um, there's been an acceleration in acceptance of them. I think the the flip side and the challenge is really um, the resourcing and the fact that people are stretched, you know, that they're still recovering from the pandemic, that there's still long waiting lists. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of urgent and immediate work that needs to be done and asking someone to invest in something which is going to ultimately make their life more, um, you know, their, their work more efficient or to benefit their patients in the longer term when actually they've got a very long short term to do list can be really challenging. That's a really interesting point, isn't it? Um, because I, I think you you only need to turn on BBC News um, to, to see the pressures on, on the NHS um, and the health service, whether that be from a budgetary point of view or whether that be from a from a, a resource point of view, literally can't get enough doctors or, or nurses. Do you see that long term as a result of digital health that that will, I guess, soften the pressure in terms of headcount or soften the pressure in terms of resource challenges? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's totally essential for, for the health service. And I think we've seen it in a lot of other industries, haven't we? You know, that mm. um, digitization of industries, um, you know, whether it's financial services or, or whether it's logistics and shipping or whether it's, um, you know, sort of doing your shopping online, it makes life a lot more efficient for people. But there is a kind of learning curve and, and there's a hump at the beginning, which you have to get over in terms of getting to grips with the new technology, investing in it um, in, in terms of both time and money. Um, and making sure that the processes that you're following, um, you know, really enable that that efficiency. But I see that you know there are certain areas, like for example, uh, we're projected to um, to you know to to really be very very short of things like radiologists. Um, so you know people are looking at maybe even sort of forty percent lack of uh, you know a, 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 a sort of forty um, percent of posts unfilled in terms of radiology in, wow. in ten years time. Well, you can't just magically kind of create more highly skilled people like that who need to be well trained and who you know it, there's a lead time, isn't there, to getting that sort of mm. skill level um, for somebody. Uh, whereas if you can make each one of those people much more effective and efficient by, for example, screening out the images they really don't need to see because a computer can tell that this is not a problem image and and focusing their attention on the things that are really important, that not only gets a better result for the patient because the person is less exhausted and more able to kind of focus on the really important pieces of, of information, but it also potentially makes them a lot more efficient and, and allows you to fill in some of those gaps. I think it's um, really quite interesting, Henry, that I think it would be interesting to get your thoughts in terms of taking the product to market. Obviously, you need to do your market research and coming back to Megan's point earlier about you know resources being low, et cetera, and people, have they got it on their to-do list to be able to give you that feedback, et cetera. How, how are businesses addressing that at the moment to be able to get uh, the, the feedback that they need to then chicken and egg prove that they've got then a product that can get invested in? Yeah, I think the key really is in understanding what the real problem we're trying to solve is, because there are, you know, it's very easy to jump to a, a very elegant solution, but it's not necessarily matched to the real problem and the, the barriers that we're seeing. So to Megan's point, you know, a lot of this has been around how do we prioritize these really limited resources and where there are long waiting lists, how can we support those people on those waiting lists to ensure that they're getting the support that they need until they're getting those appointments or seeing the people that they're able to. And so and I think a big part of that is in really understanding that the need, the current situation and the need from the market. And the way we approach that was by, I describe it as, you know, co-creating with, with our clients and the people within that ecosystem. So working closely with um, NHS England, for example, understanding where the challenges were and how we could shape um, the solution as we envisaged it, envisaged it to be able to address those specific challenges and recognizing that, you know, in you know, every few months we would relook at what we were doing. And it was often unrecognizable from what we had set out to do because we'd needed to adapt it around the needs of the 
organizations and not just the organizations but the individuals and the context of where and how they're working so you know i think it it's in shaping it we don't need to have all of the answers ourselves you know the through places like the hill through you know different organizations and accelerators we're able to really design our services around the needs of the the market those healthcare workers and ultimately the final users absolutely no really insightful um henry um you didn't get away with a song choice earlier um, I, I went to megan so um so now it's your turn for a tricky question what is your song choice and why did you pick it well i've had to resist the urge to go direct to disney uh, which is my <laughs> which is my default so i've actually gone by something by you too it's a beautiful day and there's a couple of reasons for me uh picking that one one i wish um all of you and all of your listeners a beautiful day but it's also one that I see as, you know, every day is a blank canvas and it's an opportunity for us to, you know, whatever the, the journey that we've been through to get to that point, there's an opportunity for us to emerge stronger and unlock our potential and make the very most of that. Every day is a new opportunity. And so I'd like to pick a beautiful day. Discussing topics that impact local businesses and their owners. This is the Business Brunch, sponsored by We Do HR Support. Leave your HR to the experts so you can focus on what you do best. Welcome back to the Business Brunch with Ben and Mike on Get Radio. And before that, um, really um, meaningful song uh, chosen by Henry. So thank, thanks for the, that reasoning, Henry. And um, we've been speaking with Henry and Megan really about the world of digital health, which which I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm finding absolutely fascinating. So it's so a thank you to, to you both for that. Um, I'm, I'm just going to um, really um, build on something you were touching on before, Henry, and it's maybe something Megan um, or, or yourself, Henry, want, want to want to comment on. It's, it's just really about the innovation and how an idea happens, because I think it's really, really easy to look at certain sectors and certain businesses and think, oh, I can see why a car can now go more miles per hour. I can see why a plane now goes further or, or whatever else. You can tell that I'm not an innovator, can't you? Um, but I'm just keen to understand how how really, um, let's focus on my mind maybe, how my mind came about or, or how digital health businesses really, I guess, go from C to innovation to, 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 to serve in the NHS. Yeah, so if I if I go first with my mind, I don't think we set out for my mind to be what my mind is now. Mm. I think we saw it as we recognised that there was a at the beginning of COVID, at the beginning of you know cost of living crisis, climate impact, all of these big challenges. We could see that people were struggling. We could mm. see that people you know didn't, didn't necessarily know that there was something wrong. They didn't know where to go to for help. Um, and there were a lot of tools that existed. There were a lot of things out there. It didn't feel like it was a shortage of resource. Um, of tools um, to address this. And so the way we approached it was by looking at what are, you know, what's already there, what exists, where are they falling short? Where might there be gaps be? And where can we actually work with what's already there to boost those? Um, and sometimes thinking about what are the forces that are holding that status quo in place? Are there reasons why actually we're just not breaking through those barriers? Because it feels like it should work. The intention is there, the willing is there, but we're not quite, um, crossing that gap. And so once we looked at that, it felt like actually the issue is identifying those who have those challenges, helping them get access to timely support, and then thinking a step back, how do we actually help people avoid becoming unwell in the first place by building up that resilience and then working with um, the different stakeholders across that ecosystem to understand how they might engage, what does good look like, and then um, trying to join them up in a way that allows us to deal with the the issue. So 
you know, it's not a it's not necessarily a revolution. It's taking taking the different pieces, understanding where the gaps are and how we can try to be some of the glue to you know amplify that. So I completely agree with with what Henry said there. And, and I think the way I would describe that is needs led innovation, really, you know, the idea that you start with a problem and you try and solve that problem. And I think one of the things I find really impressive about my mind is the engagement rate that um, that Henry, you have with individuals who are using the service. And I think part of that is because you've really hit a nerve and, you know, you're you're solving a problem for them. And I think if you with any products, if you can find a way of solving someone's problems, then you're much closer to being able to create product which is going to be going to be sold than if you start off with a fantastic technology um, because no matter how busy it is if it doesn't solve a problem for someone it's probably not going to be top of their to-do list to engage with it it might be worth sharing say the in terms of that engagement the i guess one of the insights that we short saw were that people were often stigmatized or paralyzed or you know they knew that something was wrong but they didn't necessarily know what to do and therefore they didn't feel comfortable or trust um, within the organization to put their hand up and say, Hey, I'm struggling or to look for, for a solution. And so the, you know, how we dealt with that insight was think about how do we bring people on board? How do we build up that trust up front? So they feel comfortable to, you know, complete an assessment or access those supports. So thanks for raising that, Megan. That's really important that the, it's about understanding what's the real problem. And it wasn't the availability of resources. It's that building up that trust and driving that engagement up front. Yeah, I think I think we spoke before, Megan, about I think you phrased it as the diffusion of innovation, I think is a phrase I've heard you use before. Um, it's something very close to me at the moment because my father-in-law's just been cleared of cancer, which is great. Um, but he's got to go for blood tests every six months and then his blood test will be reported on an app. Well, having a conversation with him yesterday, he wasn't excited that he'd had, it was cancer clear. He wasn't worried about having to give blood again and again and again. What he was fretting about was whether he'd be able to use the app. So, so tell me a little bit more about how these great digital health um, apps, if you like, or the software, the, the emerging themes that you talk about, they can solve a problem. But ultimately, if they don't solve a problem for the end user, does that sort of make it stumble? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Mike. Um, you know, and it's it's a real challenge with digital, to be honest, because some people just don't have a comfortableness with digital. You know, I think most people absolutely can handle digital technology. It's a little bit like driving a car, isn't it? You know, that they, they will say that Henry Ford sort of said, oh, you know, a, a very small minority of people will ever be able to drive a car. Well, that was complete rubbish, wasn't it? You know, most people can actually learn to drive a car. Um, and I think the same is true of digital technology, that people think of it as being something that's really far away from them, that's really hard, that they're unlikely to be able to engage with. A lot of people also say that older people can't, can't handle digital technology because they didn't grow up with it. I've seen many, many ex exceptions to that, that um, completely fallacious rule. You know, I, I think it's, it's absolutely true that everyone can engage with it. And it's just a question of giving people the skills. And as you said, Henry, the confidence to be able to engage and to, to feel like it's something that, um, that is within their skill set and, and also the motivation as well, to be honest. You know, none of us want to engage with something unless it's actually going to do something useful for us. So again, it comes back to that sort of solving a problem for someone as well. I'd, I'd add one thing to that, but it's, you know, very often we lead with the technology and we talk about how you know, this digital solution will enable us to do this or you know, this AI driven solution will do this. And people don't necessarily think about the, that as the pathway as being the value. Really, it's about the outcome. So being able to say, actually, this solution will help us to understand where you are, um, what your, what your status is, um, what your condition is. If you deteriorate, 
they don't necessarily need to know that you know, there are 17 different layers of technology that are allowing us to do that because that simply um, paralyzes you because you, you know, you're baffled and you don't, I think it's more about being informed about the choices that you make and what you can do. I think you just hit the nail right on the head. I think if he'd have been positioned that way to my father-in-law, he'd have he'd embraced that he'd have found a way to rather than worrying about it and I think that links in quite nicely to another question sorry Ben I, I wanted to ask no, um, Henry particularly around you know app development um, you know I work quite closely with a company called Fruto that uh, do user experience um, so how big is user experience really about you know something like your product in terms of the app you know you obviously you can develop the best thing but tell us a bit about that journey I know the team at Frito very well, so they've, they've, uh, they've been a partner of ours uh, in the past, and they're fabulous. So, you know, I think the the way we've approached it is rather than thinking that we know the answers or we understand exactly how users or healthcare workers are going to use our platform, we started. Um, sometimes we desi- we describe it as you know we did it manually before we tried to semi-automate and then automate and then you know, get to the full final product. And so we went out into the market and you know we worked with individuals and said, you know, when you see this, what do you think? What do you see? What do you feel? And you know, we changed, we originally had these reports that were we discovered were quite alarming because they had red on there. And actually we um with Frito's help, we were able to um turn that around to something much more engaging and relatable and for people to be able to understand their situation and take action from it. So, you know, for us that that UX is paramount because unless people feel comfortable and informed and able to make decisions, it's it's just something that they'll try once and they'll never come back to. And we see the levels of engagement that we do with people accessing it, using it and coming back to it because it you know, sometimes someone it surprised me. Someone said to me, "I really enjoyed using my mind." I never thought that you know, that wasn't something that we were going for. But you know, we really reinsured and you know feel good that people do um, value using this. So yeah, UX is you know, paramount. You know, the user experience is is so important to put people at ease to to be, really be effective. No, really fascinating. And um, one, one of the other, um, I guess, kind of buzzwords that is being thrown thrown around a lot, which which I imagine has quite quite a big impact on digital health, is is AI. Um, and so I'm told by um, James Craddock, who who owns Get Radio, is that AI is the year of AI. Apparently, in 2023. So what what can we expect um, to see from AI this year? With with I guess under the digital health umbrella. So I, I think I've got to come in here now on behalf of one of my colleagues who runs the, the digital team at the, the hospital and say um, uh, that it's not really AI, it's machine learning, isn't it? Um, and, and I think this is really interesting. Um, it, it's a really interesting area because actually most things that are kind of purport to, to be AI are actually machine learning. They're actually algorithms that have a degree of learning, a degree of being able to, to sort of react to situations, but they're not true artificial intelligence. Um, that's probably a good thing in, in, in some ways, perhaps. Um, I think people perhaps feel a little bit more comfortable with a machine that doesn't actually um, have a personality and, and uh, you know, sort of getting, getting into kind of Isaac Asimov's uh, uh, kind of uh, territory. Um, in terms of what, what's coming now, I think there are a number of areas where machine learning and um, you know algorithms of various kinds are really coming into their own. I think there's already a lot around some of the, if you like, less sexy areas of um, activity, like, for example, scheduling and logistics and um, reviewing of imagery and kind of sorting and categorizing things and all of these sorts of activities, which are all you know, totally essential to healthcare. 
Um, I think we're now getting to some of the more patient facing activities. Um, so, for example, um, categorizing referral letters and booking people into the right clinics um, or um, looking at um, analyzing language and understanding kind of which specialties or how urgent this might be or kind of where it should go in a list, these sorts of things. Um, I think there are also plenty of things around kind of understanding big data and understanding large data sets and being able to draw inferences from those. And I think this is the point where I really should hand over to Henry because he's done some <laughs> fantastic work on, on this and it'd be great to hear from, from him on that. No, I, I echo and reinforce everything that Megan has said, but particularly that big data play is really powerful because what, you know, we're, we're only scratching the surface right now at my mind, but we're, we're so excited about where this can go because the, you know, the level of data you're able to get when you start getting into the predictive analytics to look at actually where are going, what are going to be the most favorable outcomes from, you know, you might be at stage one or two and you'll be able to predict actually where do you, what do you need to do? What's the pathway you need to take to be able to reach you know, outcome number 100? And through just by adding more and more of that data and just going back to one of the points you made earlier about the networking, that data that's available isn't necessarily limited to the data that any one single organization has. By creating those collaborations and partnerships across organizations, we can um, bring together the data from every stage of that user or patient journey to you know, to be able to predictively analyze and identify where some of the challenges could be to be able to um, subvert those much earlier. So, uh, you know, it, it's really powerful. And I'll hand back to Megan. I, I was just thinking about about that aspect and thinking that actually Oxfordshire is a really exciting place to be from that point of view. Um, so we've just been allocated funding to create a secure data environment within the NHS for the whole Thames Valley region. And that will be run out of Oxford University Hospitals, and it will create the opportunity for um, researchers, but also companies to access a very wide pool of data um, with lots of different, uh, you know, a richness of information there that perhaps we haven't had access to before. Mm. And I think that's really where our National Health Service and the way we're set up in the UK has the potential to really put us at the forefront of digital healthcare, because we have amalgamated data sets we have the potential to generate vast quantities quantities of information and really understand where people's problems are how best to treat people um, how conditions interact with one another all of these sorts of things um, can only be achieved by bringing those data sets together and that's where we're really investing I think as a country and and as I say being in Oxfordshire it's very exciting to see that some of that is happening really on our doorstep and that there's lots and lots of of startup companies and and large companies who are coming in to use that data and, and create new things fantastic well i know i know you do a lot of work at the hill to engage your community about how they can access the data within the nhs and things like that because i know that's a, a minefield in itself um, in terms of things i hear um, i had a little bit tongue-in-cheek earlier when i asked ben the question about i didn't know a lot about digital health because i did having worked in the science and tech sector but i didn't know what i thought i did know so um there we go i've learned so much so far but anyway we're going to go to another song uh, so thank you for your thoughts so far and we continue our conversation after this the business brunch podcast from get radio sponsored by we do hr support leave your hr to the experts so you can focus on what you do best This is the Business Brunch with Ben and Mike here on Get Radio. Before that song, we were talking to Megan and Henry about digital health here in Oxfordshire. And 
I'm sure like me and I can see from Ben's reaction, we're being blown away about what actually is happening on our doorstep that perhaps we don't know or we're not aware of. Although we do know we've got some fantastic hospitals and we're lucky in Oxfordshire to have those in our area. Now, I've got a question that I'm going to try and capture three things that I think are sort of challenges within your sector. First of all, raising finance. And I know Henry's leading on his LinkedIn profile with raising (laughs) EIS at this moment in time. So he's probably topical. The second time is then chicken and egg in terms of when you're trying to raise finance, you need to talk to people, but have you protected your IP? So how are people protecting that IP? And then thirdly, I guess it links back into what you're doing at the Hill, Megan, in terms of the support, because I know you're helping people in that sort of way to make those relationships link up and support those. So talk to us a a little bit about those sort of three areas, if you like, so finance, IP and support. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, all very good areas and uh, uh, very topical, I think, Um, particularly, I think, in the digital health space, because actually traditional ways of protecting IP, for example, don't necessarily work for for digital health companies. Um, You know, it tends to be a lot about know-how and about secret knowledge as much as about patenting things, which is much, much, much harder to do with software. So really good point. Um, The investment is also a really uh, interesting area. Um, So we get a lot of companies coming through our doors who really want to raise investment. And in fact, we run an investor day twice a year um, where we support the companies to develop their pitch decks. And then we put them in front of investors to try and um, get that investment into the sector. Um, I think there's a bit of educating investors in that area as well, because not all of them are comfortable with digital health. They don't necessarily understand the sector um, and therefore they're not necessarily willing to kind of put their money where their mouth is, as, as it were. Um, and so I think there's there's a, a whole area of activity around trying to get people more comfortable with with digital health, getting people to, to put the right pitch together and then getting everyone in a room together to, to be able to make those in, in investments. Uh, you mentioned the kind of support that that we give. Um, I think it's fairly classic business support, actually. Mike, you'd probably recognise quite a lot of it. Um, you know, I think our, our flagship programme is our accelerator. So we run a, a market access accelerator where we support companies that have already incorporated but haven't yet raised significant investment. We help them to raise that investment, but we, ha- but we also look at their value proposition for the NHS, their value proposition for other markets. We help them develop their, their business model and their business plan. And we also introduce them to a lot of people across the NHS, um, which is particularly helpful for that sort of value proposition development and that talking to your customers and understanding what they really want and what their pain points and their problems are, which I think is absolutely key to, to any business. We've actually just launched a um, a pre-seed programme to go before the accelerator, because what we're finding is actually this is a really growing sector. Um, I think a couple of years ago, I did a, a, a research report and we found 43 digital health businesses in Oxfordshire. I think it's a lot more now um, that would count themselves in, in that sector. And so we're with the pre-seed programme, we're trying to help those people who just maybe have an idea, haven't yet incorporated, or perhaps have a research project that might become a business, trying to kind of tease out of them whether this is actually something that they could bring forward and then maybe take on to to the accelerator program. And then on the other side of the spectrum, actually, we've got a program um, on procurement training, which helps people to interact with the NHS when they've got a product to sell. Because the other aspect of this is that actually the NHS has it in traditionally not been the best marketplace. So I've been in many, many investor days where someone mentions that they want to sell to the NHS and all the investors sort of groan and, uh, you know, it's a bit of a turnoff kind of thing. Um, And I think it's an absolutely fair point that it has been traditionally quite challenging to handle public sector procurement, uh, uh, you know, handle the large, the long timescales that come with that, all of these sorts of things. 
But I think the, the, the sector is becoming much more open to having SMEs um, provide services to them. Um, there's plenty of frameworks that you can get onto which allow you to, um, to sell to the NHS. There's a lot more effort to put out tenders that are appropriate for SMEs and that allow you know, smaller companies to interact with, with the service because they've got the t- cutting edge technology at the end of the day. And so we actually run a program to train people in how to handle NHS procurement as well, um, because sometimes they've got a fantastic product, but they just haven't managed to, to sell it. Wow. Great. Really, really great insight there, Megan. And, and great question, Mike. I always have to follow Mike's intelligent question, don't I? So, so I am going to, I'm going to go back on that question a little bit. Um, I know that you mentioned um, Henry's funding and I know, Megan, you mentioned some really great things there in terms of the investor days or, or, or finance days. One of the things I see quite regularly in networking in Oxfordshire and entrepreneurs that actually a lot of networkers are looking to get involved in really clever businesses. Um, like I'm sure you've got a lot of them at the Hill and like, like Henry's businesses. So so to those those listening at home um who who maybe don't have experience in digital health but would like almost a slice of the pie and would like to support potentially a digital health business how how would they go about that and that could be I guess a question for either of you there. We've been really fortunate almost blown away at the level of interest in my mind and you know we thought originally it's just people that want to put some money in and you know they will disappear but a lot of people have come in and said actually I want to be involved um, I want to be a part of this. I want to, I'd like to contribute. I have experience in building technology, in marketing, in scaling businesses, in, um, you know, more and more we're hearing people who say, actually, I want to, you know, I've had some successful exits. I've grown my business and I would like to contribute towards something m- meaningful or purposeful or find a way to be able to contribute. And so I think there's a number of different networks that we have been a part of that have connected us and match, um, matched us to to people who are interested in contributing, the Hill um, being one of them. And there's a number of others around the the Oxford and Oxfordshire ecosystem. I think um, attending the pitch days and the accelerator days, the demo days, that there are many around um, Oxfordshire, you'll get to find interesting companies. And there'll be one or two that you think, actually, that's some, they're doing something really interesting. It's something I'm interested in. I think there's an opportunity and I think I can contribute. Um, what we've found as well is that often we've you know, months and months before we start even considered doing any fundraising, we were out there and just talking to people and understanding what different people's perspectives were. And they started the conversation so that by the time that we were getting to the fundraise, we started our most recent top-up round um, just a couple of months ago, we'd already had a really strong network of um, of supporters and people around us that we were able to talk to and start um, start doing that fundraising. So I think just by talking to to businesses, don't feel that you don't have anything to contribute. You know, it's really hard. I think everyone here will agree. It's really hard building a business, particularly today um, in against the, the climate that we're in. And, you know, we're really receptive to anyone that wants to contribute and be a part of it. And it doesn't need to be a financial investment. It could be investment of time, knowledge, um, just making connections. Any of these things are hugely valuable. And we're immensely grateful to anyone that that wants to share that journey with us. And we're very keen to bring others in. I think as as Henry's mentioned, I mean, you know, a digital health business benefits from all the things that any other business benefits from in terms of networking, connectivity, um, you know, support financially, uh, people who want to join the team, you know, getting to know people, all of those sorts of things. I think there are a couple of, of kind of unique characteristics of the digital health landscape. I think one of them is that it really needs data. 
And so maybe thinking twice about, oh, no, I'm not going to share, share my data with the NHS because they might sell it to companies, you know, it, it is, is, um, is worth doing because I think actually when you think about it, there's a lot of anonymization that goes on. You know, it's very much about those big data sets. And the more people who contribute to those big data sets, the better the technology will be that will come back and help us with our healthcare on the front line. I think there's also, you know, personally, you can get involved in research studies um, or, you know, you can choose to use the app. Um, you know, sometimes you might get the opportunity to kind of use some of this technology. You might get offered a telemedicine appointment rather than a face-to-face appointment. You might get offered to, to, to use an app, something like that. Um, using these things and giving feedback to people is hugely important um, because, you know, ultimately you're the customer, you're the patient, um, you're the person who, who needs to use this stuff. And therefore, you know, telling them what you want, um, giving it a go and and telling people what the challenges are so that they can help to make that technology better is 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 really, really important. And we're a, we're a workplace solution. So we are working with um, the NHS or the NHS workforce. But, you know, any businesses around Oxford or Oxfordshire that uh, feel like they need support around mental health and well-being for their workforce, you know, for me and for, for us, our motivation is reaching as many people as possible, supporting as many people as possible and learning from and with as many people as possible. So anyone that's interested in this, you know, please you know, feel free to reach out. We're very happy to support anyone and everyone and to to learn with them amazing no thank you so much um i would say um that is a good time to end the show it's not a good time to end the show but the hour is up so we are going to need to end the show um but thank you so much um to both of you for for joining us on the business brunch um with ben and mike on get radio today it genuinely has been such an insightful show and i shouldn't have favorites but of the 108 shows <laughs> this is well up there so uh, so now i've really enjoyed it so thank you for that um if you are just tuning in uh we've had megan maurice carter of the hill and we've had had henry majid of my mind and so thank you so much to you both for your time and contribution to our discussion you're very welcome thank you for having us great pleasure thank you you've been listening to the business brunch with ben and mike here on get radio as always we've just perhaps scratched the surface of our topic of conversation today with our expert guests but we're back next sunday with a brand new guest and that's neela matthews of awakening flow Now, I met Neela through my work with Oxford Brooks University, and we will be breaking the myth of the work-life balance in discussion with Neela. And finally, just a reminder that you can listen in, as you have hopefully today, um, via the radio or online each Sunday at 11 o'clock. The podcast format is available via your favourite podcast platforms. um, That's released on a Monday morning. And then if you like looking at me and Ben and our guests, then look out for our video format posted on the Get Radio Facebook page or on their website every Tuesday. But for now, enjoy the rest of your Sunday and we'll see you next week.